Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the bad. Let's face it, this movie's bad. The bad movies uh, of the VHS era. Tonight we are talking about the 1975, I don't know what to call this, hodgepodge, um, scrambled mess of a movie, Frozen Scream. My name is Luke and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners. Throughout history, Christianity has been used as... I can't keep a straight face saying this. <laughs> oh, this movie is so bad. Oh, what, why did we watch this? Just because it's a follow-up to, 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 to the Executioner? Pretty much. So it's, it's on the same tape, but when I, the last time I watched this tape, um, I watched all of the Executioner. And I was like, I, you know, I had a lot of fun. I thought that would be a really cool episode. And then I watched like 10 minutes of Frozen Scream. And I thought, well, this seems absolutely ridiculous. This will probably be a good episode too. And I didn't finish it. Wow. All right. So yeah. reset. Listeners, throughout history, Christianity has been used as justification for some pretty heinous shit. But if you want to see somebody jump through hoops to normalize necromancy using Christian values, then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1975's Frozen Scream on YouTube or Tubi for free. And trust me, that's the best option because inflation is still outscaling rising working wages. And the last thing anyone should do is, is toss away money on this movie. And then you, like us, can feel absolutely dumbfounded at how a film's expositional dialogue can be so bad <laughs> that the production team felt it was necessary to smother it with voiceover narration. Yeah, that was a first. I've never seen that before. I was, I was racking my brain through like about half this film thinking if I've ever, if I've ever seen a film that's done that before. Yeah, so if you have not seen this film, there's a scene early in the movie where, like, it's probably like five minutes of dialogue, but the conversation is just muted so that we can have a voiceover narration from a character we have not met yet over top of the dialogue. It's more than just one scene, though. It's a couple. You can still hear the actor's talking in the background it's just so overpowered by the 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 voiceover that you can't tell what they're saying it's completely muffled but you know what it reminded me of it reminded did did shoot what is his name the guy who wrote train spotting um I still haven't seen that oh well he he wrote the book and then whoever um after train spotting he wrote a book called filth I think that's what it's called. I need to look this up because I can't remember this. Okay, Irvin Welsh. So Irvin Welsh wrote this book, Filth, and it's about like a corrupt police officer who has a tapeworm in his stomach. And occasionally the tapeworm talks over the rest of the book. So there's like these bubbles in the middle of the page on top of the words with the tapeworms thoughts in it and it's just like like nonsense it's just like mm, hungry mm. and 
but you can't see the words underneath. That's what it reminded me of. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I read that book when I was like, um, I don't know, maybe 18. I don't remember it very well. It may be terrible. But if that sounds appealing to you, Filth by so, Irvin Welsh. I'm assuming this came out like like mid early 2000s, like 2005 to like 2010. It, oh, the the book was published in 1998. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. Um, although I have not seen it, but it was adapted into a 2013 film. Hmm. It sounds like something like Chuck uh, Palahniuk would have wrote. God, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. The guy that wrote Fight Club. All of his books have like some quirky shit to them. It seems like something he would do. I think Irvin Welsh's do as well. I think they're of a similar... Um, genre for lack of a better word um but anyway all right so back to frozen scream if this movie was not like already uh incoherent enough um the the vhs is 10 minutes shorter than the theatrical time so i suspect that mine had less scenes than yours i so i watched this on youtube and equal the I think it ran about an hour 15. Okay, that's what the VHS um, runs, but the IMDb says an hour 25. Hmm. But anyway, it was also cut down and edited into another movie called Night of Terror from 1986. I have not seen it, but it's written by Renee Harmon, who wrote last week's movie, and stars in this movie as the Dr. Lil. I was under the impression she wrote this one too, but uh, yeah, you just solved that mystery. Yeah, I thought she had written this as well, but when I went on IMDb, uh, she did not. It was written by Doug Farron, Celeste Hammond, and Michael Sonye. I don't know who any of those people are. It took three people to write this. Yeah, well... I bet one was responsible just for the voiceover narration. It was directed by someone named Frank Roach, who is apparently an actor, but IMDb only credits him with two directing jobs, Frozen Scream and Nomad Riders, which I have not seen. But it was nine years later. I wonder if Continental Video, who put this out on VHS... I wonder if they just thought, you know, if we don't put these movies on one VHS, nobody's going to rent them. Like, it's not worth giving one its own VHS tape. So I I typically do not look up reviews before we do this podcast, but it really feels like this film is bisected between being either the worst movie they've ever seen or one of the best camp movies they have ever seen. And this does kind of fit the theme of last last week's episode. So based on that alone, I would say they do belong on the same cassette. At the very least, they're not wasting two, at two cassettes on these films, right? And they, that's what I'm getting at. That's they're what I'm putting them at. on a single piece of plastic to waste. Yeah, but see, X... Executioner 2 is a bad movie, but I had fun watching it. 
I didn't have fun watching this. And granted, I was watching it by myself. Maybe if I'd been watching it with a group of people and we could like riff on it, it would be a different story. But watching this movie by yourself is kind of a, a miserable experience. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, really, I don't think it would be much better to have someone suffer with you. I definitely... On the couch. <laughs> I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying this is the worst movie we've done on the podcast. By a long shot. Yeah. The child has been dethroned. Uh, frozen scream. All right. I There's nothing else I want to talk about this movie. Uh, do we have a trailer? Uh, unfortunately, we do. <laughs> All right. Oh, I should mention this was one of the original 72 video nasties. I have no idea why. Oh God, yeah. What what was in this film? I, I I guess the cult is sort of satanic. Yeah, but there's usually video nasties were such because of like disturbing gore content, and there's really no gore in this movie. There's a little, but yeah, it's pretty sparse. I mean, the only other movie that I've seen from the video nasties list that's like questionable is The Witch Who Came from the Sea. But that one has such disturbing content that I could see it being put on a list. Oh, yeah. No, that, that film needs to be on a lot of lists. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that, that demands a spot on some lists. Um, this movie, though, but Rift Tracks actually had, uh, did this film um, for, their, for their website. And in the intro paragraph, like the introduction... They mentioned that this film was actually shot in 1975, but it wasn't even distributed to theaters. It didn't get released until eight years later as, you know, that VHS two pack that we were talking about. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, this this was hard to take notes on <laughs> because. I was under the mistaken illusion that I could put this movie on and like do other things. <laughs> like I'm about to go on a trip and I thought, oh, I can pack my suitcase while I'm watching the movie. No. Every, every scene I had to be writing down because otherwise I would have been 10 steps behind. Don't worry, viewers. I sat down and paid 100% attention to this entire film. Well, I ultimately did as well because I, I had to. It's kind of like, it, you know how like a normal movie, you have a, a, a conversation in one scene and there's kind of an arc of the scene, right? Like a rise and fall. In this movie, it's like they filmed that scene and then they cut it in four parts and interspersed it with other scenes. <laughs> so you're like, you're jumping back and forth between scenes erratically. And it makes it hard to get your bearings because you're, you keep switching characters and locations. Well, like, was that your experience? This whole movie is just the muddled mess. Yeah. Muddled is, is a good word. All right, All right so let's the, play the, the last. Yeah, before we play the trailer, I just want to say the last film we watched from these guys was in the first from the 80s. Was it even the same production studio? I'm kind of lumping them in and I don't even think it, it'd be. 
I have no idea. I you mean, know, I'm, they just were... gonna, I'm just going to blame the same group of people for both of these films, even if they aren't connected in any way outside of this one actress. I don't care. I'm just going to lump them both in there. The, the, the last film we watched was from the 80s. And it sounded like it was from the 60s. This was filmed in the 70s, and it sounds like it's from the 40s. This audio quality is terrible, and I want to see if that comes up over this trailer, which I have not watched yet. Here we go. Tell him it's urgent. Life and death. <laughs> Judgment day. Time to pay your dues. And... And... One sound and you had it. I have a message from Tom. He says that hell is very cold and lonely. All men are mortal. All men must die. The Greek letter theta stands for Thanatos, the word for death. The bar above it cancels its meaning. Potentially, each one of us is our Thanatos, immortal. Death is a stage we can conquer. It is curable. We can live forever. This title card has Frozen Scream and then right under it, a Clara production. Why would you put your name on this? <laughs> I mean, uh, what's her name? Uh, Renee must have been proud enough of it that she wanted to re-edit it into a movie that she wrote and directed. Maybe she just felt like there was something here that wasn't fully fleshed out something that was not something that was not recognized as being great there do you there want are... to find out do you want to find out and watch that one no no neither do i we will never know there there are also scenes of this movie cut into the continental compilation tape terror on tape which is basically like cameron mitchell describing various movies to you that continental released and like showing clips the gory clips of them so there's also scenes from this movie in that oddly enough lot. yeah there's a lot in this film that can be just isolated and presented out of context and it would so, just seem like a short two minute story so this movie i actually kind of like how this movie starts it's very 70s and very hokey but we see a woman's face above the ocean like floating there and the woman is saying ever since the creation of man he's dreamed of immortality but has always been devoured by death itself and if then you she, yo if you decide to watch this film even after our warnings just com completely ignore this and and watch the film anyway 
count how many times the word immortality shows up in the script <laughs> and love love and immortality and love yeah the, there's there's a man's voice that comes right after saying why would anyone want to live forever in a world like this is this our main guy kevin i don't even know i don't either i can't tell who this is talking whoever it is we haven't met them yet but well, we haven't met that logic right like bro the world changes yeah I mean, I don't know. Maybe people just continuously always think it's just going to get worse. Well, I'm going to do my best to to go with the plot of this movie. But there's some futility in this exercise. So we, <laughs> the next scene, we see a couple like making love in a pool or next to a pool. And the woman dives in. And then the man is attacked by a, a guy in a black robe with crazy Marty Feldman eyes uh, you know roaming around in his head and he attacks the man and kills the woman by strangling her and we still don't know who any of these people are this movie has the weakest strangulation scenes of all time people get choked by you just resting your fingers on their throat yeah, if people uh, if people really were strangled this easily, there would be a whole lot of um, sexual encounters that ended with death. Oh yeah, um, acting performances, uh, kids wrestling one another, <laughs> like things like this would bring on death. It, like the angles that people get grabbed at don't look realistic at all like you'd have zero leverage to get a hold of this person yet uh the the killer always manages to strangle people out in like five seconds while like with like an weird like outreached arm from like behind a uh like a tree it's it's a bizarre maybe i'm jumping ahead here but the the killers in this movie are like zombies but they're they're super cold they have a very cold body temperature maybe they're not strangling maybe they're like freezing yeah but like you know if someone cold gets into bed and like touches you with their feet you know you don't die yeah my my wife acts like she's going to she <laughs> that doing that will get me hit <laughs> Still but, worth it. But anyway, we then we see an, another man carrying a woman's body into a house. And then, because this is the appropriate place for this, we have the credits. So we have seen and or heard from a wide variety of people, none of whom we know who they are or have any context for. Or even come back. Oh, yeah. No. So there's a woman in a phone booth at the same time, and her conversation is interspersed with more credits. But she's calling her husband to say that she'll be home soon, but the fog is bad. And then they have an argument over the danger of driving on the road at night. And he's like, I'm worried about you when you drive out there. She's like, I'm worried about you because you sound strange. And that seems to be the reason she left that afternoon is he was acting strange. 
to, to be somewhat fair, he is acting strange for a good reason. Yeah. So this is Dr. Tom Gerard, and his wife is Anne. And he is trying to get a bunch of people on the phone. Father O'Brien, who's like the priest, and then he tries to call the police sergeant who we're going to meet. Um, and he's saying that it's a matter of life and death. And eventually someone calls him back, but it's just maniacal laughter. Yeah, and this guy the, gets a call from like the haunted mansion or something. Yeah. And the voice says, I think he says the angel will be there in 10 minutes. Please be ready for them. I can play it if you want. Sure. Let people hear what the voices in this movie sound like. We should mention that during this phone call, he is the, the doctor is surrounded with weapons. He has a gun, a knife, and he is playing with them while on the phone. Father O'Brien, thank God. I can't hold off any longer. It's happening tonight, and Hello? Who is this? The angel will be there in a few minutes. Be ready for this. All right, so the the hooded man shows up and he says it's judgment day, time to pay your dues. And so Tom shoots him, but more keep coming. They all look identical, right? They're at least all wearing the same getup. Yeah, with with big mustaches. Yeah, this is a bunch of uh, white men with mustaches and black robes. So basically the the worst orgy invitation you've ever received. Yeah, and uh, they hold him still and inject him with something which makes him pass out. And then Anne shows up, his wife, and screams and the guys run off. And then in the next scene, we see Anne talking to her doctor. So what is this doctor's name? Uh, Lil is her L- first name. I don't Lil- know why I remember that. Lil Stanhope. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so Lil Stanhope is played by Renee Harmon, the woman who wrote last week's movie and played the uh, reporter. And it's not just that Renee Harmon is a bad actress. She's like an unpleasant actress. Right? Like, I don't like listening to her. And it's not because she has a German accent. It's because she talks like she's like stoned and all her words are running together. It just sounds like everybody from this movie is reading from a script. But not everybody sounded like that in the 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 last film but she still sounds like she sounded like the same yeah i don't know she wasn't quite as bad in that movie but she's talking to Anne, and no one believes Anne that there were two men who killed tom the doctor says that he died of a heart attack and the rest was just a dream and so we immediately know that lil is in on whatever it is or law enforcement is just completely, you know, incompetent in this film. All right. But as they're talking, we get our first voiceover narration that interrupts the conversation from Sergeant Kevin McGuire. I know it. And 
Tom called Dr. Johnson a short time before he got home. Tom said he was feeling chest pains, and even you yourself said he didn't sound right on the phone. When Dr. Johnson arrived, he was already dead, and you were hysterical. I may have been hysterical, but I know what I saw, and I know I didn't make it up. My name's Sergeant McGuire. I'm a cop. And I was getting nowhere investigating the disappearance of two med students until I found one of their professors, Tom Gerard, dead. Gerard had called me in a panic, but by the time I got to him, a colleague of his, Dr. Sven Johnson, was already there. Dr. Johnson insisted the cause of death was a heart attack. Okay, and it goes on. We are not going to listen to the whole thing, but you have the gist. Yeah. And I th- am I crazy? Or is this voiceover narration a different voice from the detective? I think it is. Or he's at least like reading it much more formally. I can't really tell. When Harmon is reading her lines, you can tell where the page break be. Where she has to like stop and then go to the next line to start reading again. (laughs) Well, this guy, I think they're trying to go for like a like an old film noir type voiceover narration where you have like the, you know, the dry and and uh, serious but ironic detective who's narrating events and throwing out like witticisms. But that's not this guy. Like nothing about this is witty. No, if last week's detective had, I don't know, zero charisma, this guy probably has like, Two. <laughs> like two out of 18. <laughs> well, he is. So he shows up in person and he wants to question. He's questioning uh, Lil, but he also wants to see Anne. And after he's done talking to Lil, who has said that he can't see Anne because she just got a tranquilizer. His voiceover narration says that Lil was doing a pretty bad acting job, but it was not hard to see through her indignant rage. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I didn't see any sign of indignant rage. Do, do you really think that someone else completely wrote a, the script for like the dub? I would yeah. not be I would not be surprised if they turned in this movie and the studio was like, well, this movie doesn't make any sense. Like we need a voiceover narration to explain what's going on. And so they hired someone else to do a voiceover narration, trying to make sense of the movie. Hmm. I can see it. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised if that's what was done. So to complicate the matter, we find out that Anne used to be engaged to Sergeant McGuire (laughs) and that she supposedly left him like abruptly and then married her husband, Tom, like a few weeks later or something. Um, He wants they they don't really lay out the details, but I like to think she just left him at the altar. He he makes it. He says something like she married Tom just a few weeks later. Like they make it seem as if there was something going on there. But for whatever reason, um, Kevin's plan 
is to solve this case and win Anne back. I'm not really sure why he wants Anne back, but that's one of his missions. Everybody in this script who's involved in a relationship, like they need to call the poison control hotline immediately because everybody acts absolutely toxic. Like everybody's just taken like these giant gulps from this like cesspool of expired love and regret. This movie is a great example of like the toxic behavior shit you see in like boomer relationships. First off, this officer should have been excused from the case from the get-go because his ex-fiance is involved. I don't know. You know what? We cannot criticize the script this harsh because we would be here all night. Well, the way the movie makes it seem is that he's like the only police officer in the town. Like we never see him engaging with any other ones. Yeah, is that for budget reasons or because this is like some backwater town in like Missouri? I don't know. We really don't get any sense of place here. All right, okay, so you are the director of a cult who is hiding your zombification immortality program inside a medical practice. You would probably pick a very, like, sparsely populated area of the country to set up in, right? Yeah, I guess, like the the Halloween 3 mask operation thing, this sort of thing. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, we we see right into the heart of the conspiracy. Um, We get to see Lil talking with her, the other doctor, Sven. And she is telling him that sometimes he reminds her of one of his cold, immortal creations. And she says, I really don't know what I see in you. And so this is our first glimpse at like what's going on in a throwaway line like metaphorically used but but now we know that there's something being created cold immortal zombie creatures all right so spoiler this is this is one of those films that does the non-traditional everyday bystander looking zombies like those those dudes from before with all the mustaches it's kind of like messiah of evil but without the the class or the good writing or the painstakingly curated atmosphere, et cetera. Oh, the fabulous suits. There's no fabulous suits in this film. Yeah, so I this next scene, I'm going to describe it, but it's very odd. So Sven tells, Sven asks Lil how Anne is, and Lil says that she's asleep, that she just gave her a sedative. And so Sven says, well, maybe you should go talk to her then. And so we see Lil go to Anne's room and start talking to her as she sleeps. And then we enter a dream sequence. And I I think we're supposed to think that somehow Lil is like inspiring the dream sequence. Like, did this make sense to you? No, no. They felt like they just wanted to sandwich this in there. Yeah, but. In the dream sequence, Anne is facing Tom, and Tom is in one of the the zombie robes. And he tells her to undress and turns around. And there's this guy in the background, like Grim Reaper type guy with a scythe, 
And then there's a woman in a white dress. And Tom is saying, I love you, Anne, forever and ever. But when he turns around, he's a skeleton and she screams. So she wakes up screaming and the doctor says, oh, good news. You're, uh, you're, you're getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, she, she, <laughs> she acts as if uh, Anne peacefully blinked her eyes open and yawned. Instead, Anne is screaming like hysterically and uh, Lil is just like, good. You're awake. And, and, and so she drives her home. <laughs> Doctor and a Uber driver. And she's their teacher. <laughs> this woman wears many hats in this film. But yeah, it has to be a small town. You're, it has to be a small town where like one person does everything. The doctor drives the patient home. Yeah, I thought this was bizarre. But this gives them a chance to talk. And uh, the the doctor, Lil, is saying that at this stage of her therapy, um, she should really date. It's only been like two days, right? I think it's been a little longer than that. But this is one of those films where time has little meaning. Yeah, it's kind of like a fugue state. Or a... Either way, there's no way a doctor would recommend this. Yeah, no. And Anne is like, no, I don't think I will. Because I'm angry at you. <laughs> and Lil is like, at me? Why? And she says that she wanted Lil to help her analyze her dream. And Lil hasn't even brought it up. <laughs> and, and then Lil says, I thought you would be able to analyze it yourself. It's so obvious. Like very passive aggressively. Is this? All right. So I'm going to show my relative age here um it i just learned the other day what negging is are you familiar with this of course so apparently negging is when you subtly put people down in order to make them feel insecure so then they'll be interested in you and that's what the doctor is doing here <laughs> But yeah, apparently this is a dating tactic now. Like Gen Z is, uh, Gen Zers are nagging one another. I I don't think this is something that started with with Gen Zers. I think this has always been a thing. No, but didn't have a a fun, catchy <laughs> slang for it. Yeah, they're codifying it and recommending it. Uh, <laughs> what recommending it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is it's like. Um, Only like if I, you consent, right? I don't know. I think it's it's meant as like a way to get a girl to go out with you. Is to like subtly, passively, aggressively bully them until their self-esteem is damaged. And then they don't think they're too good for you anymore. I just heard about this the other day and I did a quick Google search to find out what it was. And um, I saw sites from like, you know, man.com or whatever, like, giving it as advice oh is this is this some red pill nonsense it might be i don't know i the the insinuation i got when i heard it was that it was more widespread than that but i don't know anyway so once lil says that it's so obvious she mentions a halloween party that happened on the beach 
And then we get what I think is a flashback, but it's very confusing. And Tom and Anne are on the beach and, and so are Sven and Lil. And the pre- preacher is there, Father O'Brien. The worst uh, priest of all time. Yeah. And they're all talking about this woman, Catherine, who was there earlier, and they're afraid of her getting too cold. And then the doctor's like, no, we should be afraid of her getting near the fire and getting too hot. And so obviously, like, they care about Catherine's body temperature for whatever reason. But Tom is making all these morose comments about, like, dying and not having a soul and knowing he's going to hell. Um, We don't know what's going on at this point, but he's feeling worried about something. And then we see someone being hit with an axe by one of the robed men. I This all, I was very confused when things were happening. So there's a lot of things going on here, but we're mostly just focusing on this flashback at the beach where you have the whole gang uh, in the sands in like a kumbaya circle around a fire. And they start eventually to do a chant because it turns out they're all part of this... Uh, well, you're just going to say it's a cult, right? And they're doing very cult-like things, like chanting. So our now deceased but currently living doctor over here with Anne is asking the priest, hey, father, is this a cult? While watching the ring of cultists, you know, congregate around the fire and the priest is just like, nah, this is good vibes. Yeah, they're all they're all chanting love and immortality. And the priest says something about how, like, all religions have been interested in immortality throughout time. So, yeah, necromancy does not conflict with Christian values. No. No. (laughs) But Father O'Brien is like, tell me what's really bothering you. And Tom says that he'll tell him, but only under the seal of confession. And so they leave Anne to go talk alone. And she's not bothered by this. Like, if this was my husband, I would be a little worried. No, she's a good, faithful, mid-70s wife. Yeah, well, the people, while they go off, she stays by the fire and everyone starts to sway back and forth. And this one girl, who I think is Catherine, yeah, starts to strip. And she stares at Anne for a long time, and then Anne shakes her head. And I'm not sure what's supposed to be being communicated between them in this scene. And then it just ends, right? Yeah, we go back to the present day. Great. <laughs> so I have no idea what that flashback supposedly had to do with Anne's dream. That scene could have just been at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Yeah. So out of nowhere, after this flashback, um, Lil asks Anne if she will help with their work on immortality. And Anne doesn't want to, but she eventually says she'll think about it. And Lil drops Anne off. Anne goes inside, and she sees the woman from the beach, Catherine, in her house. And Catherine's like, didn't Lil tell you I was coming? 
which struck me as very odd. Yeah, she's an RN, apparently. Yeah, but we don't find that out until a later scene. So, like, in this <laughs> scene, it just seems like she's... We don't know why she's there. So, I have a feeling parts of the script were written where there is an outline where it was like character A needs to meet character B. Character B needs to meet character C. Character A, character C here. And then after getting all that lined up, then the screenwriter decided to fill it in and figure out how all these people met up. And it doesn't really make sense. No. And the next scene is a perfect example of this. It's really our first like prolonged conversation between Lil and Sven. And they're arguing over what whether what they're doing is wrong. And um, basically, we find out that they want to create immortality. And then abruptly, Lil says, did I ever tell you I was married? And then she goes on to talk about her former husband, how he went overseas for the war. And they knew when he left that he wouldn't be back. And... All she could think about was how incredible it would be if life could go on after she finds out that he's died in the war. Something doesn't add up here, right? No, lots of things don't. <laughs> oh. But then we see somebody swaying by a camera and cutting their wrists. Is this Lil we see doing this? This was a dream sequence, I believe. I couldn't tell. Well, okay, it's one of two things, right? So we find out at some point, not much further than where we are in the film, that the original doctor during the phone call scene was actually about to commit suicide to take part in this zombification project, which in itself doesn't make sense because nobody else is committing suicide to, you know participate in it that's why he had so many weapons laying around because his wife wasn't supposed to be coming home that night um that's why he fought back against the cultists because the cultists showed up because he didn't kill himself and he didn't want to die because his wife was coming home you follow this is this is this is grok so what if what if the Dr. Lil here is actually killing herself to, to take part in this project as well? She never struck me as like one of these like super zombies, but she could have been. Then we, um, I liked this. We, we get a voiceover line from Kevin saying, life is a lot like love. When it's over, it's over. And that's the kind of wisdom you watch this movie for. Uh, just following this movie. Um, so Kevin goes to see Anne in at school because she's a med student, apparently. But this really was not established earlier. And he's saying that he wanted to see her at the hospital, but they told him she had leprosy. And they laugh. Yeah, I think he was just joking, right? Yeah, but I don't understand what the joke is. I, I thought you had leprosy, so I couldn't get next to you. I guess. You know, le le leprosies are, le lepers are contagious. <laughs> I, I, I literally wrote down in my notes, this is the most wooden conversation of all time. Yeah, no, no, there is no chemistry in this film between anybody. No, what? and they, 
Much like, you know, the walking stiffs in this film, uh, you know, everybody might as well be a zombie with with no personality. They don't even seem like they're interacting with one another. It seems like they're in a room by themselves reading off note cards and they were somehow edited into the same scene. And and then that's definitely the, the, the problem with the dub, right? But even without that dub, I don't know. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a problem of just the dub. It feels physical as well. Yeah, it's 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 not just the dub. Um, but anyway, uh, he wants to take her out to dinner so they can talk about Tom, her husband. And Anne is like, well, I need to ask Catherine, the nurse. Um, and so she calls Catherine and tells her, and Catherine's like, yeah, go have fun. And then she calls someone else and says, she's with him ominously but what we don't see is kevin is apparently trying to explain the plot to Anne. Uh, so of course they could not show us that and Anne is saying that lil and sven could not harm anyone uh you know that she she trusts them and kevin says well he thinks that even tom had a hand in it and that makes Anne storm out in fury could you tell she was furious yeah you know i think of all the acting Anne is probably the best in this film but i mean that's kind of that's saying very very little little. yeah yeah (laughs) anyway he races after her and he talks her back to the car and she's saying i just wish that you believed me and he says next time she's in uh the doctor's office see if she can find anything and also look through Tom's files. And they agree that they're going to go see father O'Brien and, you know, talk with him about what he knows. I'm not sure when this happens, but there's some point where we hear, (laughs) there's some point where we hear Kevin in his voiceover saying that it's strange that Anne won't tell him that she loves him. Oh, Um, Yes. Okay, so first off, the doctors figure out that Anne is kind of on the 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 verge of figuring out their scheme. So they decide to kind of scare her into complacency by having one of their, their zombie goons burglarize the house, or at least breaking and entering into the house and uh and, and scare her for so that she will like you know stop digging why don't you just kill her you know whatever it's the script she's covered in plot armor let her enjoy her life after this intense scare scene she goes to the officer for comfort and they fuck right and then the voiceover that you're talking about pours over right after their embrace where yeah the gist is uh Hey, why wouldn't my ex fiance immediately like profess love for me? Yeah, but he says After that the recent passing of her husband. He says that since she won't, if he can get her to do things for him, that'll be good enough for now. So he's not afraid to ask her to like snoop around in the office because somehow that's like a profession or a demonstration of love. Hey man, if she's willing to to commit theft for what would undoubtedly be inadmissible evidence in court, then you know, you know, she's getting warmed up. 
so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around some, but um, yeah, it is time to skip around. At some point, we see O'Brien get strangled in the confession booth. This is one of those easy stranglings, strangulations. This is probably the best murder scene of the whole film, though, because how often do you get to see a priest get strangled through a confession box, right? Yeah, and and meanwhile, Anne gets a call from someone who sounds like her husband, Tom. And he's saying, I'm so cold. Like, my body is numb. Help me. (laughs) Even this that's supposed to be, like, spooky just sounds uh, monotone. So one of the hooded men, the one um, with the Marty Feldman eyes, uh, is in the window and is trying to break in. And so Anne races upstairs to wake up Catherine, but she won't open her door. Um, The phone rings, though, and it's Kevin. And she's like, please come right away. Someone is trying to break in. And that's about how she sounds. Like, she does not sound panicked or frightened at all. No, yeah, not not at all. Someone starts to come out of the closet, um, which also does not seem to trouble her that much. And he holds a knife to her throat and says, I have a message from Tom. He's very cold and very lonely. (laughs) And then he leaves. Well, no, he says it's very cold and lonely in hell. (laughs) Okay. It's actually in the trailer we played. (laughs) It's Tom just called her. So why is this guy well i guess this guy doesn't know he called her right Mm, i suppose not this guy's just supposed to scare her is that true or what is this guy's motivation for this scene uh she actually steals documents out of the doctor's office that have uh records on the people she has zombified up to this point so i don't know which one but one of the mustached men had their documents taken out of a filing cabinet and handed over to the cops. So I guess they realized that those things were missing and that uh, the previous scare tactics did not work. So now they're just coming after her. Yeah. So we, we start, we see Lil and Sven doing experiments on a body and they're like cutting the skin to see how fast it heals. Um, Three seconds is the record. It like scars over and everything. So this uh, this um, technology seems to have amazing uh, promise. Well, I mean, of course, the the drawback is that it like saps you of all your personality, right? The, but yeah, in this that, world where no one has personality to begin with, maybe it's not so much a drawback. Yeah, I actually think Tom shows more personality as a zombie than he did as a person. <laughs> but we see Kevin and Anne in bed together, and he says, "I love you, Anne." And she she doesn't say she loves him. She says, oh, it's like seeing a whole other world, which was a very odd line. I think you're getting scenes combined together, confused, possibly. Maybe. I'm just going through my <laughs> there's notes. Two, but- there's two separate break-in scenes, and they're divided by just like a little bit. Oh, I had no idea there were two different ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that really just goes to show you the editing of this film, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's skip to the musical interlude. Musical interlude. 
yeah, we're they're all at a party. Everyone in the movie is at a party. And there's dancing and there's a band playing and they're playing a song that sounds exactly like rock around the clock, but instead it's Jack around the shack. What so you- I don't know if you want to hear this, but that happens before the burglaries. <laughs> <laughs> Does it? Yeah. I'm looking at the movie right now. <laughs> Hang on because <laughs> So I, the way I have it in my notes is they're at the party and the party's like attached to the hospital or the school, whatever it is. And Catherine goes inside during, or not Catherine, um, Anne goes inside while the band is playing and tries to snoop in the office, but she ends up trapped in the closet Okay, here's the timeline. Priest gets murdered. Burglary number one happens. They scare her so that she'll stop trying to follow the paper trail. She is obviously not, you know, too scared by this. She goes to the officer for, or the investigator for comfort. They bone. Creepy dialogue is exchanged. The next time she is the, Anne is at the doctor's office. She steals the files because maybe she does secretly love <laughs> the investigator again. They talk about the information, which we're not co- which we're not covering because it's boring shit. And then there's the party. And then after the, after the party, there is the medical experiment you're talking about. And then after that is the second burglary. So I'm wondering if like our movies were actually in different orders. Oh, no. I don't know if there's a way to look it up, but, like, that is not my recollection of the events at all, like, remotely. I mean, maybe it's a defense mechanism. Maybe your brain doesn't want to remember this film. Yeah, so, you know what? Let's just skip to, like, (laughs) are there any scenes in this movie that you think are interesting that we should discuss? All right. So... Let us jump ahead to what is the climax of the film, right? We okay. have... Where the fuck is Anne in the scene? <laughs> Whose house is this? <laughs> is this the one where Anne is tied to the table? Is that what you're well, talking there's, about? There's trick-or-treaters, and then she's in a house. Okay, I thought this was another burglary scene. <laughs> no, she's just in some dude's house. Who's, whose house is this? Is this the doctor's? I think it's the doctor's office. I think she's at the party... And then she sneaks inside because the party's at where their offices are. Oh, my God. This is terrible. And she sneaks into the office. (laughs) All right. So she's in the office. She's being stalked by a guy in a mask. (laughs) Which turns out to be a red herring because it's just the police officer (laughs) following her for whatever reason. While she's in the doctor's office fucking around, she finds the, the freezer where the zombies sleep at night, like standing up vampires with their arms crossed over their chests all dramatically. <laughs> uh, she wakes one up, which then starts to chase her. She nonchalantly runs away and then tries to hide. And this is the first of two scenes where she is the worst at hide and seek I've ever met 
like I've ever seen ever in any across any media, IRL, anything. She is standing in a door frame in front of a light source, casting her shadow across the entire hallway. <laughs> a masked person comes in, immediately finds her. But thankfully, this is the police officer and they decide they need to get the fuck out before uh, before the mustachioed men show up, which they do. And they ha- there's a chase sequence. Anne keeps running. Police officer stays behind and has a very, very bad fight choreography sequence with one of the mustache guys. Oh, it's so this bad. It's the only time in the entire film where they do not have weapons. And despite the fact that this is a police officer, he is not carrying a weapon. So it comes to some cheap ass roadhouse fight scene shit. He incapacitates the mustached guy. Yeah, he and gets he, away. Like gouges his eyes out. Gouges his eye out. Okay, that doesn't happen in Roadhouse, but whatever. But then to eliminate the police officer from the equation for the rest <laughs> of the scene, a random a random passing motorist hits him with this car and says, Oh my god, you just ran out into the road. I'm gonna take you to the hospital. And we do not see him until the end of the film. That's it. He is out for the count. This the rest is all about Anne running through, uh, God, like a, a a fucking shopping complex to get away from the other mustachioed cultist who's chasing them. She works her way into a stairwell of a business that's probably closed because it's nighttime, and hides under stairs that are have no backing. They're just metal rungs, and she is instantly seen by a night patrolman. I am describing this as fast as possible to get through this. The night oh, patrolman's like, what are you doing down here? And then promptly gets obliterated by the cultist who broke his way in from upstairs. Now we're at the scene where Anne is strapped to the table because she was abducted by the doctor. The doctor came down and kept the cultist from killing her. And, and that's where we're at now. Yeah, so Lil, wow. Lil shoots his Sven to keep him from killing um, Anne. And then she says, if I release you, will you work with me? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) There has been no indication in the rest of the movie that this was to come. It just is out of left field. Well, I mean, Dr. Lil over here has been pretty displeased with how the other doctor has been treating her. And then he just makes this threat about turning her into a zombie. So I guess she actually isn't a zombie yet, or she's a secret zombie. Either way, um, I think that was the last straw. That's what caused her to to just go ahead and get rid of him. Well, she unstraps um, Anne. And then she says to Anne, I loved him but I never trusted him the way that I do you. And there is no basis for trust here. Like all she's done to this other person is lie and like scheme and manipulate throughout the movie. That is not a suggestion of trust. This is, this is kind of like a a thing I've, I've, I've seen in other films where you have two characters that have been like opposed to each other, the entire, the entire plot. And at the end, they become like romantically entangled for some reason. I, I think the the most historically 
offensive example was the end of Hannibal, the book, not the film. If if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I never read it. Oh, God. But do you know the, the book ending? No. Oh, Clarice and, and Hannibal hook up. Spoiler, the book blows ass, so I, I, I didn't ruin your life. Oh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the film either. <laughs> I kind of put it out of my memory. Yeah, you you can just stop it, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that was my feeling. I like Manhunter okay. Oh, Red Dragon's the best book by a long shot. I haven't seen I haven't seen the Red Dragon film, but I saw Manhunter. I haven't seen any of the books based on the or I'm seen wow. I haven't seen any of the movies based on the first book. I've just read I've just read the Red Dragon. Oh, no. Manhunter's totally worth seeing. It's mm-hmm. good. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Anyway, this film. Um so we're yeah. at the end here. Yeah, so Anne does not take the bait. <laughs> And she starts flipping all these switches and pulling levers and things start to blow up. And then Lil turns on her. She gets a syringe and she says, um, you've killed him, but it won't stop the experiment. Because when all the explosions were happening, I guess it killed zombie Tom. Yeah. And O'Brien shows up, the priest, but he has a chip on his neck. So we know he's a, a zombie too, I guess. Um, do you remember them pointing out this chip at any other point in the film? No, I remember an early scene where we saw them attaching a chip to somebody, but we didn't know who it was. Yo, because this was the first time I remember the chip. I do not remember it being anywhere else in the film. No, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a twist that like, oh, look, O'Brien is a zombie now. And I assume they put it there. Um, on O'Brien when he was strangled in the confessional. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, the that mark as a designation for zombies, I do not remember seeing it until this scene, like, yeah, that's, with the priest. I was confused. I wasn't sure if um, the people with the chip were the same as the zombies or if it was, like, two different things. Hmm. Right, like maybe the chip was like a mind control thing, and the zombies had actually been frozen to death and brought back. I assumed it was the same thing because once uh, we get to the next scene, Anne has that chip as well, and I'm pretty sure she is a uh, she is cold and a zombie at that point. Yeah, we hear from Kevin's voiceover narration that he survived the car but that his heart is still recovering from being run over by Anne again because she has not contacted him since the accident. But then she abruptly shows up and says, I love you. And that it will just be them forever. And then she injects him in the eye. Well, the doctor injects him in the eye. Yeah, so Sven and uh, Lil are there, or Lil, I guess Sven is dead. Lil is there, um, and they all start chanting love and immortality as she injects him in the eye, and blood splashes on the camera, and that's the end. Roll credits. All right, please give your final thoughts and rate this. (laughs) So the real question is, is this worse than the child i'm asking you now is this worse than the child i think the child is fantastic 
Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I rated the child. I had to go back and look at it. I a half star. I think I rated the child three or three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Something something ridiculous like that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything redeeming about this film? Can you think of anything? No. No, I can't either. I think I've seen stuff worse than this, but... Oh. Like, you could tell there was effort put into this film, at least, right? There was effort put into not the dub. He, I guess I'm on not, somebody's part. On somebody's part. I, I'm not saying that effort turned out anything of substance but it feels like there was some kind of love put into this film i don't it's see like, it if there was i guess a tumor spreads through a body is can be seen as a form of love in a way <laughs> um hmm. you know what would have made a better movie if they really leaned in really hard on this whole idea of a like Christian necromancer, right? Like, let's say you get this Joel Osteen looking guy and you have him looking for the secret of eternal life through like abhorrent science and unethical experiments. And he's just rationalizing it with like biblical scripture the whole time. And you can just like question, have the audience question whether he believes in it or not. Uh, there's probably a movie like that. that. That probably would have been like a significantly better movie than what we ended up with. Anything would have. Yeah. I don't think you could do anything to make this movie worse. The the little practical effects that are here aren't bad. I'm not saying a horror movie needs good practical effects to be good. But at the same time, I don't think you can just get away <laughs> with just like some cool practical effects some creepy costumes and call it a day because at, at the end here there is there is a lot of narrative issues a lot of pacing issues as we've mentioned lots of times there is there is a this this movie is muddled that is that is the the main theme well the main word is immortality right that word is said probably like 50 times through the script but then the, the other word is muddled but is there really nothing here that's salvageable like absolutely nothing i'm trying i'm trying to think really hard i don't think so god is this our first zero star is that possible it this might be the first zero star i'm trying to rationalize getting away from it because i know in my heart i've seen worse stuff but but this but we're never Ide in an ideal world, we are never going to watch anything on this level ever again for this podcast, unless it's absolutely intentional. No, I'm totally happy to give this zero stars. All right. I, I am going to give <laughs> Frozen Scream our first zero star rating and hopefully only zero star rating. Yeah, this movie's bad. You don't need to see it. If you sapped any enjoyment out of our confused, rambling conversation, then um, the, the movie has uh, unintentionally thrown some good into the world. But no, this one's bad. I, I totally recommend Executioner 2. 
If you're a VHS collector, like grab this double feature and watch that one, and then you can turn it off. Zero stars. All right, but next week we're going to watch a movie that I'm super excited to talk about. I only discovered it recently. This movie is not available anywhere legitimate, um, but if you do a Google search, you can easily find some bootleg companies that have put it out. So it is uh, seeable. Um, and maybe there's somewhere online, but the movie's called Janie from 1970. Uh, and the IMDb synopsis is a sadistic teenager searching for daddy murders and dismembers anybody who picks her up hitchhiking. So this was a movie that was um, made and financed by Roberta Finley. And she was a like really influential adult filmmaker and exploitation filmmaker along with, I think her husband was also involved, but she, she made a bunch of great movies um, in the seventies. Uh, this is a really, really strange one. I don't think it's good, but there is no other movie like it. And I think it is like a, a surreal dream like fever dream that needs to be experienced um it's a psychedelic experience like i love this movie so i'm totally excited to, to talk about it i have no idea if leland's gonna like it remotely but um i am pumped it can't it cannot be worse than this it's more it's grungier than this it is it is the definition of like the grindhouse film. It looks like it was shot with equipment that came out of the grindhouse and recorded on audio that came from the grindhouse. Like it's grimy as fuck um, and, and very uh, amateurishly shot. Um, although on film, it's not on, on video. Um, and there's something genius going on here. I'm not sure what it is, but this one uh, merits your attention. So hopefully I didn't pump it up too much. Um, but we'll be back next week to talk about Janie. And until then, Leland, do you have any final words? Thank you for your continued support. And I apologize um, for this movie <laughs> and potentially this episode. I haven't heard it yet, but... Um, Hopefully you milked some joy out of it. Uh, until next week, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares uh, where I post all of our stuff. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.